0: Well, this morning we are continuing our six week series on Satan. This is message number two, and I invite you to take your Bibles and join me in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter three. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page number two in your Bible. We've entitled this series Speak of the Devil. And we're going to see today how last week we saw how Satan fell from heaven and the position that he had. Today we're going to see that there's a snake in the garden. And uh, we're going to see how Satan works there and what happens there. Genesis chapter 3, follow along with me as I read the first 15 verses. Now the serpent was more crafty She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning as we consider this passage of Scripture that you would speak to each of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us insight. That you would help us to recognize our enemy. And Father, that we may rejoice in knowing that you are victorious over him. And Father, I pray that you would challenge each of us today from your word. That we might follow you more. That we might serve you more. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know you're an accomplished con man when they name an entire crime after you. In the 1920s, Charles Ponzi duped investors out of an estimated $32 million. In dollars today, that would be about $475 million, using a scheme that now bears his name. A Ponzi scheme starts with a too good to be true investment opportunity. Friends, if it's too good to be true, we should know what? It isn't true. And what he basically promised investors is he could double their money in three months by buying and selling something called international reply coupons a way to prepay for uh, European postage. Uh, The details were sketchy, but his early investors struck it rich just like he promised. But like all Ponzi schemes, you are able to make a promise of something that's too good to be true and fool even very intelligent individuals because they hear from others who have had their money doubled and so they invest and they just keep churning the money. At one point, Ponzi was receiving $1 million a week from eager American banking uh, their futures on this incredible opportunity. Eventually he was exposed and went to prison, and his investors lost their homes and their life savings. Less than a century later, along comes a man by the name of Bernie Madoff. And most of us have heard of him, who executed the largest Ponzi scheme in history defrauding thousands of investors out of tens of billions of dollars. But neither Charles nor Bernie pulled off the greatest con ever. The greatest con ever was pulled off by Satan in the Garden of Eden. Now, as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, these 15 verses, I could probably preach 10 weeks just on these 15 verses for everything that is in there. But instead, we're going to zero in because our subject matter is Satan. And so we're just going to zero in on him and what happens in the garden there with Satan. Now, as I read the passage of Scripture, you may have noticed nowhere is Satan mentioned in the passage. It talks about the serpent, but nowhere in Genesis chapter 3 is the serpent identified as being Satan. Yet we know for sure that it is Satan, because in the last book of the Bible— In the book of Revelation, it identifies the serpent as being Satan. In Revelation 12, 9, we read, The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. It is repeated again over in Revelation chapter 20 in verse 2. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So it is very clear that the person that we are dealing with in the garden is none other than Satan himself. We saw him last week as he was created by God perfect in the heavens. And now we see him, after he has fallen, here on the earth, attacking man. And you say, why would his attack be centered upon man? Because of everything that God created. There is only one species that is made in the image of God. And that is man. Now, there are some theologians who theorize that part of the pride that entered into Satan's heart that caused him to rebel against God was when he saw that God had created two beings in his own image. And we saw last week that it was pride that caused Satan to fall. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we are going to see how Satan works and how he attacks the woman. Now, we're not going to be looking at all the devices of Satan this morning. There's another message coming in this series where we will be looking at the devices of Satan, how he works and how he operates. But we're going to touch on that a little bit this morning as we see what happens in the garden. Now just for the record, I don't think I need to share this here at Maranatha, but I'm going to share this. It is a true story. It is not an allegory. It is not something that someone made up. It's just not symbolic of things. This is a real story that really happened. And so as we see this passage, the first thing that I want us to notice is that Satan creates doubt. Satan does not come in the garden and announce to Eve and to Adam, I am God's adversary. I no longer serve God. I no longer give honor and glory to him. No, that's not how he comes, is it? There there was no truth in advertising taking place in the garden. If there were, Satan would say, I rebelled against God. I turned against God. I want to be like God. I want to replace God. But none of that is shared. And so Satan comes and he's going to create doubt. Now, last year, 2022, the word of the year was the word gaslighting. Now, some of you may have heard of gaslighting. Some of you may not have heard. But it is a psychological manipulation of the person. Now, it usually takes place over a period of time that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, their perception of reality and their memories, and typically is designed to lead to confusion, loss of confidence, and self esteem. Gaslighting refers to the manipulating of others with blatant lies or disbelief, so that it forces someone to second guess their own perspective. The term comes from a movie in ni- from 1944, entitled Gaslight, with Charles Boyer and Ingrid Bergman. It was based on a play from 1938. In it, after the murder of the character's aunt, who was a rich opera singer, uh, her uncle, the uncle of the surviving niece, moves in and convinces her that she is going crazy so that he could steal the ant's fortune. That's called gaslighting. Satan is gaslighting Eve. Look at it, he creates doubt. Verse one, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast. Now this is a real snake. As we go through the passage, we have to distinguish what's speaking to the snake and what is speaking to Satan himself. The serpent was more crafty, it means to be shrewd or alluring. Now, when we think of a snake, uh, it's not something that we think of as being shrewd or crafty or something that is very attractive. But this snake, pre-fall, did not look like the snakes of today look. It did not crawl upon its belly. So you say, well, how did it get around? I don't know. Some think maybe it had wings that it flew. Some think maybe it had legs like uh, the gecko you see on the TV ads. Uh, we don't know. But it's not exactly like snakes of today. And the serpent was more crafty than any other beast that God had made. And so Satan goes into the beast, into this snake. We see from the New Testament that demons can possess animals. We know that Satan filled Judas when Judas betrayed the Lord. So Satan is using this snake, this serpent. And he said to the woman, now let's pause right there. Because some people discount this whole story because you have a serpent speaking to a woman. And the question is, can animals talk? Will animals be able to talk when we go to heaven? I don't know. We do have two instances in Scripture where we see animals that are speaking. We see the serpent here and Balaam's donkey who spoke to him. So I don't know whether that's a pattern that is part of the curse. They're unable to communicate. Uh, I can hardly imagine a scene in heaven uh, some of you might think this was great, where your dog or cat can talk back to you and, and carry on a conversation uh, with you. I don't know whether that will occur or not, but there doesn't, there doesn't seem to be anything in the passage that this serpent speaking to Eve suddenly makes her run away from the serpent. She enters into a conversation with the serpent. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, notice the word. Did God really say, you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? Now, what had God actually said? If you look back into chapter 2, the end of verse 16, God said this, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Did God say you can't eat of any tree? What did God say? You can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God said. Now, Satan is coming along and saying, did God actually tell you, Eve, you can't eat of any of the trees? Notice what he's doing. He's casting doubt on the goodness of God. God has provided a perfect environment. He's provided all kinds of trees, all kinds of fruit-bearing trees. Adam and Eve can eat freely of all of them except one tree. But Satan comes to create doubt. Did God actually... I think it's interesting that word actually. Is this really what God said? He's casting God in a bad light. He's making it sound like God is withholding something from you. There's something good you can have, Eve, but God doesn't want you to have it. God is not interested in the best For you, God is holding out on you. He's gaslighting her. He's creating doubt in her mind. Because notice what we see, verse 2 And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay, we may eat of the fruit of the trees. Notice what's missing there all the trees of the garden. We can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Now, was there anything we read in chapter 2 that God said you can't touch it? He only said you can't eat of it. Now, it's Probably a good idea not to touch it. Wouldn't you agree? It's not very good if we know that there is something out there that tempts us to sin, to play around with it. It's probably better for us to stay as far away from it as we can. But Satan has gotten Eve to add to the word of God to make the prohibition more expansive than it really is. We can eat of the trees, she doesn't say all the trees, except the one, and we can't eat of that one tree, neither are we even allowed to touch it. Satan is creating doubt. Now this is something that Satan continues to do. As I said, later we'll talk about the devices vi- of Satan. But Satan is always going to challenge and create truth or create questions, not truth, create questions about what God has really set. We see that in our own culture today. Did God really create just a man and a woman? Did God really say that marriage is just to be between a man and a woman and a lifelong commitment? We're living in a culture that has bought the lies of Satan. We are told in the New Testament that we'll come to a time when good is called evil and evil is good. We see that going on all around our country in what is called Pride Month. Pride about what? Pride about something that violates the very creation of God and that violates the very word of God. But we want within our country a celebration by everyone of that which is sinful and evil. And yet we want to call it good. Good. Did God really say these things? The creation of doubt. The next thing that I want you to see is that Satan lies. Satan lies. He's called the liar for a reason, he's been the liar and the murderer. He's the beginning of murder, the beginning of lies. Satan now moves from creating doubt to telling an outright lie. Verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. See the contradiction of God's word? The day that you eat of it, and actually the tense implies, dying you shall die. Satan just flat out now, he's conditioned her by, ask, by creating doubt, and now he flat out says, God is lying to you. God's not telling you the truth. Because when you eat of it, you're not going to die. And then notice what it says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice what's happening here? God's holding out on you. God knows that when you eat of that fruit, you're not going to die. God is too gracious and loving to let you die. You'll not die when you eat of this fruit. You're going to become like God. Remember last week when we were looking at Satan? What is it that Satan wanted? Why did the pride enter his heart? Because he wanted to set his throne where God's throne was. He was not content to be the highest created being. He wanted to be on an equal plane with God. He wanted to be like God. Now he takes what he wanted for himself, which he is unable to achieve. We saw that very clearly. Satan is not the equal of God. He never has been, he never will be. Satan's doom is secure, and we'll see that in the last message on this series. His doom is secure. And even what Satan wanted when he fell, complete autonomy to do anything and everything he wanted to, he didn't even get that because he's still underneath the sovereignty of God. And we see that very clearly in the story of Job. He can't do anything without getting God's permission first. So Satan says, God is lying to you. A direct attack on the very character of God. You know, we see the same things in our lives today. We believe a lie that says God is too good to let us die, let his creation die, and yet God is evil in that he's withholding something from you. See that attack of Satan? He attacks it on both sides. He's too good that when you eat of this fruit, you are not going to die. But God is evil because he's holding out on you something that would be really good for you. It's just a straight out lie. And you know, Satan comes to us with lies as well. All kinds of lies. Satan will whisper in our ears, God is not really good. When you're going through a trial, when things aren't going well for you, he whispers in your ear, a good God wouldn't let that happen. A good God wouldn't let disease in our world. A good God would not take your loved one away in death. God is not good. A good God wouldn't let you struggle, because if he were a good God, he would want you to be happy regardless of what's going on. He comes and he lies, and he says, everyone's beliefs are okay. doesn't matter what you believe. It's all going to lead to the same place in heaven anyway. He lies. Dear Christian friends, he comes and he lies to us and when we fail, when we fall into sin and says God doesn't want you anymore, God's through with you. If you were really following God, you wouldn't fail like that. But as we're going to see, God has a plan even for Adam and Eve, doesn't he? Even when they disobey, yeah. Or he comes and he lies to you, And he tells you the struggles that you have. No one else has ever gone through this. No one else has ever wrestled with this. It is all lies from Satan. And Satan lies. The next thing that I want us to see is Satan's consequences. As I said, I'm skipping over many verses here, and there's a lot that could be said from this passage, but we're focusing on Satan today. Satan's consequences. Look at it beginning in verse 14. Now the confrontation has taken place between God and Adam and Eve for their sin. And the Lord God, verse 14, said to the serpent, Okay, he's speaking to the animal, the serpent now. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So the serpent is now made into the snakes that we see today that crawl around on their bellies eating dirt. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now he's speaking not to the serpent that slithers on the ground, but he's speaking to the one who has possessed the serpent, and he's speaking to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity. Uh, The word enmity basically means a blood feud. There is going to be a war. There is going to be a feud that's going to happen. And actually, next Sunday, we're going to spend our time tracing this enmity that begins here in Genesis 3.15 and will end at the cross, When Christ will totally and completely defeat Satan and ultimately ends with Satan being cast into the lake of fire. I will put enmity. There will be a blood feud between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now what does that mean? It doesn't... What it means is Satan is going to have those who are going to follow him, and those that follow him are regarded as his offspring. Remember Jesus addressing the religious leaders? You're of the father, you're of your father, who? The devil. The offspring of Satan and her offspring. Those who come from the woman. Now notice, doesn't say between your offspring and Adam's offspring, there is the beginning of a promise that is announced here that is a forward looking to Christ coming. You're going to see that very clearly now in the passage. Look at it. He, not the offspring. But it'll be from her offspring. I believe this is a promise of the virgin birth. He, one of the woman's offspring, a singular individual, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now the word that's bruised is the same word that's used. Both of the head of Satan being bruised and of the heel of the Lord being bruised. Some interpret this verse and say he shall crush your head. And that's what I think it means. Because a wound to the head is fatal. A wound To the heel is not. And on the cross, the heel of Jesus was bruised, but the head of Satan was crushed. And Satan was defeated. So there is going to be this blood feud that is going to occur. And as I said, next week, we're going to trace it all the way to the cross and beyond. The cross of this blood feud that runs through all the pages of the Old Testament and into the pages of the New Testament. So, what do we learn here? What's the application for us this morning? First off, God wins. There should be a lot of amens to that. Let me say that again God wins. We know the end of the story. Satan is not equal with God. And God wins. Even with the fall of man, God still wins. This didn't take God by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God knew what was going to happen. But God wins. God always wins. And secondly, God's word is true. God's word is true. You can count on it. Both the positive promises and the negative promises. Unfortunately, in this passage, we're looking at the negative promise first. The day that you eat of this, What will happen? You shall die. And death entered our world. Suffering entered our world. Disease entered our world. All of it as a result of disobedience to God. God's word is always true. But because it's true, we know that we will ultimately have the victory in Christ if we put our faith and trust in him. As you heard earlier, There is salvation for those who will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a war going on. But if you put your trust in Christ, you will be on the winning side. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to us what happened in the past. Help us, Lord, to be aware of our enemy, but even more so, help us to be aware of you, our victorious God. Help us to rejoice in the victory that we have in Jesus, and help us to trust you in everything that comes into our lives. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.